Holy Spirit is one of the most misunderstood persons of the Holy Trinity. As disciples of Jesus, we typically understand and embrace God the Father pretty well. Uh, we typically understand and embrace God the Son very well. But when it comes to Holy Spirit, we often misunderstand Him and in many ways, probably unintentionally, reject the Holy Spirit. Now this this rejection and misunderstanding moved one guy to write a book called Forgotten God. That's just about Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. Now, when it comes to wrong ideas about Holy Spirit, I think it tends to run into polar extremes. On one extreme are the excesses of what you have affectionately you have heard me affectionately referred to as the crazies. Well, this extreme You find Holy Spirit's leading being used to ignore God's word or reject God's word. You see this with those who will stand up and they're supposed to preach. And rather than preaching, opening up God's word and begin to to say what it says, they their message is really all about the latest fresh revelation Holy Spirit has given to them. And if it contradicts God's word or if it goes against God's word, well, brother, Holy Spirit told me, I don't know what to tell you about that. It's seen in excesses where people may fall down and bark like dogs and cluck like chickens and all manner of just nonsensical, non-biblical things. But on the other end of the spectrum... Is a crowd that that almost act like Holy Spirit doesn't exist. Now they would never say it this way, but to hear them preach and teach and talk the Holy Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Bible. There's a, a an, an intentional leaving out the Holy Spirit. In this group are those who really cannot say they have experienced Holy Spirit's presence or power or work in their life. For many in this group, they don't want Holy to experience Holy Spirit's presence or power or work in their lives. With this group, if you mention the Holy Spirit leading you or showing you something, they look at you funny and wonder if you're one of them. People in this group are generally fearful of becoming those on the other end of the spectrum. And so they reject, they react by pulling to the other end of the spectrum and pretty much live a life devoid of everything Holy Spirit does in us, through us, and for us. I don't want to fall to either extreme. The first group legitimately scares me. The heresy they teach And the things they do are so disturbingly demonic, I believe most of them are truly demon-possessed. The second extreme, while they don't scare me, I don't want to end up there. Their life without the Spirit seems much more like dry religious activity than it does a genuine relationship with the living God. I'm convinced the reason we tend to run to extremes is because the extremes are easy. It's easy to say 
anything anyone does is the Holy Spirit if they preface it by saying the Holy Spirit led me or the Holy Spirit said to me. It's a lot more difficult to test all things against God's word as we're actually commanded to do. It takes effort to do that. But it's also easier to just reject the concept of being led by the Holy Spirit than it is to listen and surrender to his leading and test all things by God's word as we're commanded to do. As people of the book, running to an extreme should not be an option for us. As people who are called to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus, the easy way should not be our default position. We should be a people who judge all things by the book and according to the book. And if God's word says this is what Holy Spirit does, then we say that's what Holy Spirit does. And if the book says Holy Spirit does not do that and that is not of God, then we say that is not of God. We want to walk not in the extremes, not in either ditch, but on the road laid out for us according to God's word. So what does God's word say to us about the importance of Holy Spirit and what he does in our life? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you haven't already, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, page 830 in your pew Bible. And I'm going to just read the first 12 verses, but we're actually going to look at the whole chapter before it's all said and done. So Acts 2, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's word when you find that. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves. And a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Galatia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt... In parts of Libya, around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the mighty deeds of God. They all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? The title of the message this morning is, Wake Up to Your Need of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come today. Uh, Father, we bow in your presence and we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We surrender our lives to you. Father, we surrender our lives to live according to the book you have given us. Father, today in this moment, we reject the extremes. Father, we will not. We will not be the crazies and go off into heresy and condemnation. But Lord, neither will we be. The other extreme who deny 
and minimize and reject Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. We come today submitting to you and what you have revealed in your word and we plead for the more. Father, everything that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross, we want in our lives. And a part of this is the fullness Holy Spirit and leading us, filling us and empowering us. And we surrender today to that. Father, we're not asking you to do anything that's not from you. We don't want anything that's not from you. But Lord, we want everything that is. We refuse to live and become complacent with less than what your word says is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, today open our hearts and our minds to your word. Let your Holy Spirit make it living and active to us. Let him convict us where we need convicting, strengthen us where we need strengthening, encourage us where we need encouraging and give us hope. Father, where we're despairing. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. so I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way in all things, in every heart, in every life. Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the events of this first Pentecost Sunday were the fulfillment of Jesus's promises to his disciples. In obedience to Jesus, the disciples had gathered together. They had prayed together and they were waiting until the promise of the father came. As the disciples gathered and waited and prayed, Jesus kept his word and poured out the Holy Spirit on the people. You see in verse 33 that it was Jesus who poured the Holy Spirit out. The pouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 is merely the first demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work in and for the church of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts continually points out to us the many works Holy Spirit does on behalf of the church. On behalf of disciples of Jesus Now, the main truth, the central truth I want us to understand today is this. God intends every disciple of Jesus to live spirit filled, spirit led and spirit empowered lives. Let me show you this from Acts two. First, look at verse three. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them and distributed themselves and a tongue rested on each one of them. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance. Now look at verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. And even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, Peter there quotes the prophet Joel. And Joel was looking forward to a day when the Holy Spirit would land and fall upon all people. And then verse 38, look at verse 38 and 39. Peter said to them, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
for the promise, which the Holy Spirit is the promise, is for you, is for your children, for all who are far away, and as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. The Holy Spirit is for all believers everywhere. All believers of all times are meant to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered in their lives. Now, this is a massive change from what it was like in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Holy Spirit only came upon specific people, typically for a specific purpose and for a limited time. But now, in the New Testament period, in the time in which we live, Holy Spirit would come upon every single disciple of Jesus... He would live in them and he would dwell with them forever. Holy Spirit and all he brings and all he does is for all disciples of Jesus in all times. The Holy Spirit comes to live in every disciple of Jesus on the moment that they're saved. But being indwelt by Holy Spirit is not necessarily the same it's knowing the Holy Spirit and experiencing Him in our lives. The experience of the Holy Spirit's power and work and gifts and leading are every bit as much for every disciple of Jesus in our day as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is. Even though the Holy Spirit and His power, work, and gifts for all disciples of Jesus in all times, many in our day have little or no knowledge or experience of the Holy Spirit. The late A.W. Tozer said if Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. What I want to do today is give you three reasons from Acts 2 why each one of us needs, not just can be, but needs to be, Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered, just as God intends. The first is that the Holy Spirit empowers. Holy Spirit empowers disciples of Jesus to do the will of Jesus. This empowering is for every single disciple of Jesus. We see Holy Spirit's empowering all through Acts 2. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. And so Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them to speak in different tongues. Now you look at verse 6. And it says, when the, when the crowd, when this occurred, the crowd came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished. Are not these Galileans? How are we that we hear them in our own language, and he lists all the different languages of the people that are there. And we hear them in verse 11, speaking in our own language the mighty deeds of God. So what they were doing was they were, they were speaking actual languages. Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them, and they spoke languages that actually existed on the planet, but languages which they themselves had not studied and did not know. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered them to speak with other tongues. In, in verse 11, the Holy Spirit specifically, what they were saying were the mighty deeds of God. 
And I think the, the likely thrust of the mighty deeds of God they were declaring revolved around the gospel. Most likely what they are saying is a combination of praise and proclamation. They are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus who has died and risen again. And they are praising God for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. Holy Spirit empowered them to speak the wonderful works of God. Look at verse 17 and 18. And it shall be on the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. Even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The promise is when the Holy Spirit is poured out, he would be poured out on all people and he would empower them to do things in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. And if you look at verse 14, we see the Holy Spirit seemed to have given Peter a new boldness. But Peter, taking a stand with the other eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and pay attention to my words. Now, remember, Peter, one of the last things we see of Peter in the Gospels is he denies Jesus. He, when, when it gets right down to it, he denies Jesus. He flees just like the rest of them do. But no more. Now the Holy Spirit falls upon all of the disciples of Jesus. They're all speaking in these languages they have not rehearsed. They do not know. And people begin to mock. Verse 13, they're jeering and saying they're, they're drunk is essentially what they're saying. Now in the midst of a crowd of people mocking them, Peter of days gone by would have just cowered down and let it go, but not any longer. He's not that guy anymore. Now the Holy Spirit is upon him and he stands up. Uh, he stands up with the other eleven. He raises his voice and he begins to declare what is going on. Even I think even his explanation, his sermon is Holy Spirit empowered revelation about what's going on. Peter didn't have any sort of great knowledge of what the Holy Spirit was going to do when he came. He just knew that Jesus was going to pour Holy Spirit out on the church. But now suddenly he knows Peter preaches this great gospel message. Then look at verse 37. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? Peter's message struck home because of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit empowered Peter's preaching so it would convict the people of their need for Jesus. Peter was empowered by Holy Spirit and his message was effective because of the unction of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 43. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. After the Holy Spirit comes upon them, there are many signs and wonders being performed through the apostles. Prior to Pentecost, you don't see the apostles doing a whole lot of signs and wonders. Jesus did a lot of signs and wonders, but not the apostles. But now Jesus has ascended. Holy Spirit has come down. And now from this point on, we are going to see a ministry of the apostles filled with supernatural acts. When you read through the book of Acts, you see Holy Spirit empowering disciples of Jesus to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, set captives free. All of this was done 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who who empowered people on the day of Pentecost and in the book of Acts empowers us today. Now, God's word gives us so many ways that Holy Spirit empowers us to live and so many things he empowers us to do. We don't have time to cover them all. But one of the things that I think is super important for us to understand is that the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. He empowers us to have a gift from him that we use in service to Jesus for the glory of God. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4 give us some lists of what these gifts are. Now, while God's word gives us these lists, they're different. One is different from the other. And I think the point of that is to show there's a great diversity of gifts the Holy Spirit gives. I don't think it's meant to show an exhaustive list of all the ways Holy Spirit would empower us. But just to show us there's all kinds of ways. The one thought I want us to see today is that it's, that it's the Holy Spirit who does it and it's for everyone. Now there are varieties of gifts, the same Spirit. Varieties of ministries, it's the same Lord. The varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He, the Holy Spirit, wills. While there's a great variety of spiritual gifts, and they're used in a great variety of ways, they all come from the same person, Holy Spirit of God. When we believed on Jesus and were saved, Holy Spirit Himself made a rational and intentional decision about what gifts we should have. He did a a work in our lives in planting these things within us. Holy Spirit gave us the gifts He knew we would need to best accomplish God's will in the world. Now one thing to notice in this is that they're given for the common good. King James says for the profit of others. Two key truths about that idea. One is the gifts that are given to us are not for us. Right? We're not given gifts that we then don't use to serve others. Whatever gift I have and whatever gift you have is for the common good. It's for the profit, the benefit of other people. Our gifts are supposed to make us serve others in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God. Second, we need to understand is that no individual disciple of Jesus is given every gift that is needed to reach the world or even our community for Christ. Instead, Holy Spirit gives us the gift needed within local body of believers so that we can be a part of of working with others to edify the saints and evangelize the sinners. The gifting and empowering of the Holy Spirit does not send anyone off to become lone ranger Christians. In our day, and this is a rabbit trail so it doesn't count against my time. In our day, here's what we often say. Don't go to church. 
The church isn't a building. We're the church. Right? Have you ever heard things like that, seen that on social media? No. To be true, this building is not the church. We are the church. But understand this. You by yourself, you're not the church either. Me by myself, I'm not the church either. Whatever God's Word says the church is supposed to do, you can't do on your own. I can't do on my own. We are intentionally wired by God through the Holy Spirit to need one another to do everything that needs to be done. No one of us can do everything that needs to be done to reach Gaiman for Christ. Instead, together, as we come together, using the gifts Holy Spirit has given us, we together can reach Gaiman for Christ. Holy Spirit works not to make us individuals that go out on our own, but to make us part of a team, to make us part of a family. A local body of believers who have repented of their sins, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, living and serving for the glory of God to reach their community for Christ. Holy Spirit brings us, He gifts us to bring us together so that we can be a group of people who are committed to making disciples of all nations, starting with our own community. God intends every disciple of Jesus to live spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered lives so that we can make a difference in the world around us. So Holy Spirit empowers us, but Holy Spirit also reveals Jesus. God's Word is clear. No one is ever saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is essential to the salvation of sinners. We see the work of the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus and drawing people to Jesus all throughout Acts 2. After explaining what was happening to the disciples was a fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. Peter immediately starts to preach about Jesus. Now, Peter's message is really, really good stuff. Take some time and study it. We're going to look at it. We don't have time to get deep into it. Look at verse 22 and 23. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So Peter explains, we're not drunk. It's the prophecy of Joel coming to pass. But it's because of Jesus. He immediately transitions to Jesus. He immediately transitions to to not only just Jesus, but to the, the work of Jesus on the cross. Explaining because this is 50 days. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So this is 50 days. They all know about the crucifixion of Jesus. They're all probably fairly familiar with it. And so he points them immediately back to Jesus. And he wants them to understand this was all a part of God's plan. That Jesus came to be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. His crucifixion wasn't a failure. It was a victory. The betrayal, the rejection, the suffering, the death were all part of God's plan. Everything Jesus endured. He's saying he endured for you and for me. May God help us never to get over what Jesus endured for us on the cross. The Holy Spirit is working in Peter 
prompting him to declare, to witness about Jesus. But he doesn't just talk about the cross of Jesus. He then begins to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, verse 24, putting into the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, so the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue was overjoyed. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. For you not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness, uh, make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb and is with us to this day. So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seek one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. It is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact to which we are all witnesses. So Holy Spirit begins to immediately reveal Jesus. He begins to immediately reveal Jesus to Peter. Peter now has this knowledge. I, I, I have serious doubt that prior to the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming upon him, that Peter understood Psalm 16 was a messianic psalm predicting the resurrection of Jesus. But now suddenly... With the Holy Spirit opening his eyes to see Jesus in God's word in ways he never had before. He's able to, to make this known. And he is telling them. He, he, is, he didn't spend a lot of time defending they're not drunk. He just says that in an offhand remark. And then immediately gets to Jesus and begins to proclaim Jesus. And even what he's throwing on with the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 33. Therefore, since he has been he, Jesus has been exalted. The right hand of God has received the promise, the Holy Spirit from the Father. He, Jesus, has poured out this which you both see and hear. I love this. This is a really important thing. He basically says everything you're seeing here is Jesus. It is Jesus who has risen and now he has ascended and now he has poured Holy Spirit out on this church. Now, one of the things I think is important to understand from this is that Holy Spirit is not in competition with Jesus. Often we're told if you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're minimizing Jesus. But clearly that's not the case. Jesus and Holy Spirit are God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son are not in competition with one another. It's not we have Jesus or we have Holy Spirit. It's we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then in turn reveals Jesus. Emphasizing the Holy Spirit in no way de-emphasizes Jesus. Where Holy Spirit is, He Reveals Jesus. He always points us to Jesus. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus. Whom you crucified. He reveals that Jesus cannot be defeated. The man who died a shameful death on the cross has risen, has been exalted and given a name above every name. A name so great that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Christ. And as Lord and as Christ, 
Jesus pours the Holy Spirit on his church just like he promised he would. And from references, Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33. The Holy Spirit-inspired message about Jesus brought the people to a place of deep conviction. Just as Holy Spirit empowered Peter's preaching to cut them to the heart, the Holy Spirit makes God's word living and active in us. You and I are in just as much need the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us as anyone else is. We need Holy Spirit to make God's word living and active in our lives. When God's word is proclaimed or God's word is taught or even if God's word is just read. The Holy Spirit works in that moment to reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit worked in this moment to convince them Peter's words about Jesus were true and they needed the Jesus that Peter was proclaiming. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit did to empower Peter's preaching and to bring the people to repentance, he does still today. Right? Jesus said that when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they do not believe in me. Righteousness because I'm going to Father and you're no longer going to see me. Judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, convict is the term we're probably most familiar with, but I think it's maybe better expressed as convince. The idea is the Holy Spirit convinces us of something that we previously didn't understand is true. Not convict. Convict often brings the idea that make us feel guilty. But to, to confuse that what the Holy Spirit does with making us feel guilty or to make us feel bad, it misses the point. Rather, what the Holy Spirit does is convince us of a truth we had either previously not known, not realized, or not accepted. The first thing he convinces us of is sin. Now, the idea here is that the Holy Spirit convinces sinners they are guilty of sin. Now, not guilty in the way your mom makes you feel guilty, but guilty in a judicial sense. Holy Spirit, you could see him as God's prosecuting attorney who secures a guilty verdict against sinners because of their sin. It's not that they feel bad, though ideally they will, but it's that they know they're guilty. They know they have, been, they have sinned against God. They are guilty in the courts of heaven. And then they will be bothered by the guilt of their sin. And they will see there's a need to fix this. Which leads to the next thing Holy Spirit convinces sinners about. And that is righteousness. Once a person has been convinced they are a guilty sinner. A terrible realization overcomes them. They are not righteous. Instead of being righteous they are guilty in the courts of heaven. Those who do not realize they are guilty of sin generally feel like they're okay. They may acknowledge they're not perfect, but the idea of being legitimately guilty before God is a foreign concept to them. However, those who have been convinced of their sin by Holy Spirit recognize they have no righteousness of their own. This is where they recognize their righteousness is as filthy rags. And then once they're convinced they are guilty sinners, they have no righteousness Holy Spirit then works to show them where true righteousness can be found. But he doesn't just leave people 
feeling guilty. He doesn't just leave people in condemnation. Once that sets in on them, he then points them to Jesus. And shows them that they can be righteous because Jesus has died and Jesus has risen and Jesus has gone to be the Father. But he also convinces them that there is a judgment to come. Now, this is important because no one wants to believe that there is a day of reckoning. No one wants to believe that there is a day where they will stand before a holy God and give an account for their lives. And they will be held to the exact same standard everybody else in the world is held to. The Holy Spirit convinces them this simply is the way it is. Just as the ruler of this world was judged by the cross of Christ, so they too will one day face God and his judgment. And at this point, the person has a choice to make. Will they believe in the Jesus the Holy Spirit is pointing them to? Or will they reject the Jesus the Holy Spirit is pointing them to? Holy Spirit always brings people to a place of a decision when he reveals Jesus. You must decide about him. They will receive him. They will reject him. But either way, they will decide. Now, what Holy Spirit does to bring people to Jesus initially. He does to bring us closer to Jesus all the time. He doesn't reveal everything about us that's not right on that moment of salvation. I don't know about you, but there's been an awful lot that's not right about me that's, not, that's been revealed to me over the years. I, I was not perfect on the night that I got saved. Far from it. Over the last however many years it's been since I've been saved, Holy Spirit has revealed more and more things to me. Shown me more and more things in my life that weren't as they ought to be. Showed me Jesus as the one who can fix them. Jesus as the one who can fill in the gaps of what's missing in my life. He doesn't just bring us to Jesus to be saved and then leave us there. He is always working in our lives. Pointing us to Jesus. Drawing us to Jesus. Encouraging us to love Him more. To trust Him better. To, uh, to know Him more. He is always at work trying to bring us closer to Jesus. God intends every disciple of Jesus... To live spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered lives so that we can know Jesus. And under the impulse of the Holy Spirit, we can make Jesus known to a lost and a dying world. So Holy Spirit empowers. Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. But then lastly, Holy Spirit builds the church. Important truth you see in the book of Acts. Those who come to Jesus always join of the church. This example is found in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 41. So then those who had received the word were baptized that day and were added to. They were baptized and that day. They were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually in verse 42 devoting themselves. The apostles teaching to fellowship the breaking of bread and to prayer. So. Prior to to this, there's like 120 disciples of Jesus. Acts chapter 1 tells us, 1 and 15, I believe. About 120 disciples of Jesus. Holy Spirit falls. People are cut to the heart. Jesus is revealed. Holy Spirit empowers. Jesus is revealed. These people get saved. And immediately they're they're added. And what what are they added to? They're, They're added to the 120. 
so that now there's not just 120 disciples of Jesus. Now there's 3,120 disciples of Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit didn't save them and then send them out on their own. Holy Spirit saved them and, and they recognized their need for one another. So they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer. They, they continually gathered together. The Holy Spirit leading them to Christ, the Holy Spirit making them to be born again, the Holy Spirit empowering them, didn't lead them off to their own ways to become Lone Ranger Christians. He, he pushed them. To be a part of this body that already existed. In fact, chapter or verse 46 of chapter 2 says that they met daily, day by day, for teaching and fellowship and prayer. That, that was the work that he was doing. Look at verse 47. Praising God, having favor of all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number. Who's their number? What's that referred to? The church. Day by day, those who were being saved. Look at verse 44 and 45. And all the believers were together. So the, again, they weren't out as individuals. They had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions, share them with all to the extent that anyone had need. So there was such a change in them and they were so together that they began to form, practice a form of radical generosity as a response to their commitment to Christ and to one another. I think what we have to recognize from this is that the idea of a Christian who is not part of the church is an idea foreign to God's Word. God's Word gives us zero examples of Lone Ranger Christians. God's Word gives us zero examples of genuinely born-again believers who were not part of a local body of Believers in the Bible, every genuine believer is active in the church. The believers, according to God's word, supported the church. They served. They used their gifts as for the common good to come together to reach their communities for Christ. It never occurred to anyone in the New Testament not to be committed to the church that Jesus died to form. It never occurred to them not to be a part of the, the church that the Holy Spirit began to build on this particular day. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, I believe verse 16. Nope. Either way, I'll find it later. Somewhere in 1 John, that I believe is in chapter 2. Verse 19. I was close. says they went out from us because they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be evident they are not of us. The only example we see of people who left the church and were not a part of the church, the testimony of the God-inspired author is they really weren't Christians to begin with. It seems in God's Word the church is really, really important to God. The church is really, really important to Holy Spirit. The church is really, really important 
to Jesus. God intends every disciple of Jesus to live spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered lives. And part of the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives will always be to lead us to be a part of the church Jesus died to build. Something interesting you find in the book of Acts, and we're closing, is when the apostles went to a new place and they found new believers. Do you know they never asked them if they had prayed to ask Jesus into their heart? We, we don't see that anywhere in God's Word, but particularly in the book of Acts. They didn't ask them, did you come to the altar and pray? Have you been baptized? They didn't ask any of that. You know the most common thing they asked in the book of Acts? Have you received the Holy Spirit? One group said, we've not even heard there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you today, have you received the Holy Spirit? And if you say yes, then let me press a little bit and ask you a further question. What evidence do you see in your life that brings you to this conclusion? Do you see the work of the Spirit like what we've talked about in your life right now? Do you live and minister to others through your Holy Spirit given and empowered gifts? Has there been a time in your life where you were brought to deep conviction about your need for Jesus? Where you abandoned all hope in your good works and your religiosity and said, my only hope is Jesus. Are you growing regularly and deeper in your knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like? Are you committed Active and involved in your church. What Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost. He did all through the book of Acts. And he still does in our day as well. He is always at work. And every disciple of Jesus. Is meant to experience. His power. His work. His gifts in our life. And if we are not experiencing Holy Spirit's power, work, gifts, leading in our life. Something is wrong. And we must be discontented with what's wrong. And we must go to Jesus who pours out the Holy Spirit. And say, I want what you poured out. I want. The promise of the Father. I want the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. Someone asked you to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. It won't be long. But I want to give us a chance to respond. If you don't see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, this is the time to come out and call upon Jesus. Holy Spirit isn't for a select few. He isn't for the super Christians, apostles, pastors, missionaries. Every disciple of Jesus has equal access to all that the Holy Spirit is and all the Holy Spirit does. If you don't see that in your life, something ain't right and you need to cry out to Jesus until it gets right. Maybe you see it, but you just want more because there's always more. Use this time to cry out to Jesus for the more. I'll pray. The altars will be open.